Hi Triber, we're back for the next season. Smart Girl Tribe has grown to become the UK's number one female empowerment organisation. We have an event series, a digital magazine, a membership platform and this podcast. What can you expect from us? Interviews from women all over the world who are driving change and pushing the needle forward. From actors to activists to CEOs and conflict photographers to the brains behind some of the world's largest corporations. When you're not tuned in every Wednesday at 6pm, then make sure you're chatting to fellow unapologetically ambitious women in our private Facebook group, the Smart Girl Tribe Society, or sharing our ever so inspirational content on Instagram at Smart Girl Tribe. Hello Tribers, welcome back to the Smart Girl Tribe podcast. I'm really looking forward to sharing this special episode with you today. Shay Akiwowo is a former politician and executive director of Glitch, a non-profit campaigning to end online abuse. Shay was selected as the Amnesty International Human Rights Defender in 2018 and the Digital Leader of the Year in 2019. We discuss life as a female black politician, going viral, racial abuse and online bullying. You may know that's something that has affected me personally and something I definitely talk about in this episode. It is such a powerful discussion. So do come and let me know what you think in the Smart Girl Tribe Society, our private Facebook group, the link is, of course, in the show notes. Enjoy it, Tribers. Shay, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. It's great to have you here. Can you just share your story with our Smart Girl Tribe audience, please? Cool. Well, thanks for having me, Scarlett. Um, so my name is Shay Akiwowo. I accidentally found an oops baby called Glitch um, just over three years ago when a video of a speech that I made went viral and was posted on a neo-Nazi website and then I was on the receiving end of horrific online abuse and trolling and um, the response from social media companies, law enforcement, wider society was just really poor and very much a continuation of victim blaming language we'd seen with offline violence against women and it felt as well that the conversations and experiences of um, violence against women were centered around white women and never looked at it from an intersectional lens. So what, it, what I experienced as a black woman was a very much racialized sexism or as Dr. Moya Bailey uh, coined the term, misogynoir. And it felt like that wasn't, that wasn't being respected or um, uh, at all um, acknowledged. I remember going to the police station and basically having to choose between which bit of legislation I could use um, to get access to justice for what happened. And I could either choose to be black or I could choose to be a woman, but I couldn't be both. And it was all of that gruesome experience that made me think like no one should go through this. And I was a counselor at the time, I was one of the youngest elected counselors. And I just thought we're trying to encourage the next generation of women and girls and rightly so, to take up this space and to take up more space and to knock down barriers and to um, set up a new table and a whole new system. But yet, when, we, when they get there, we don't equip them with the skills and the knowledge and the confidence and the mentorship um, for their journey. And I felt very much that the online space and having that online presence was missing. So a lot of girls or a lot of women are kind of told like, yeah, go online and you, know, you can have a blog and a blog and you can go viral and you can get this and that, but no one talks about the kind of consequences of it. So I just felt like there's a huge gap and I felt really sad as well because I was somebody that grew up on the internet. Like I clearly remember when like computers came to our school, those big like Windows 95 
white car that white um, computers big huge things and I grew up on on it I grew up when I remember when YouTube came out and when Facebook came out um yet no one taught us how to use those platforms and engage on those platforms safely and um positively and it felt like um there were these glitches now that were appearing on the internet that were stopping us as people, society, and those online spaces from, from fulfilling its fullest potential. And so that's where Glitch came in about fixing the glitch and about us all understanding what our responsibilities are as digital citizens to make the online space safer for everyone and what we can do, um, what we can be asking of tech companies and governments too. And I do think there's been progress over the last three years, for sure. Because when I started Scarlet, oh my God, I was receiving no's and barricaded doors (laughs) when I first started around trying to get any movement on tech accountability or government taking responsibility or, you know, anything. And now, like, we're inundated with people wanting our support. We work in partnership with Twitter and other tech companies. Um... We work in partnership with Twitter and other tech companies. We um, deliver training on digital self-care, self-defense and security. And whereas before women just thought that was part of being a, being a woman online. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, 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 there's definitely a, long, a lot more to do and there's a long way to go. But I, I am positive that there are ways that we can start making the online spaces safer for women and girls. Completely. Now you started Shay as a counselor for Forest Gate North, did you actually always want to work in politics? Yeah, so it's so weird. I basically became a councillor where I grew up. So it was so weird, like going back and door knocking and asking people to vote for me where I'd like been naughty and like knocked on people's houses <laughs> and ran away. Um, or like where I had like my first kiss and stuff like that, like now door knocking or sort of fly tipping in the area. And but it was at the same time really lovely to like go back and be able to serve my community. And the whole reason I did that was because I didn't see people who looked like me in politics. Um, and the reason why I started, well, one of the biggest seeds of why I started was Charlotte. So my friend Charlotte, who I went to primary school with, who I went to secondary school with, my neighbor in the area, um, she was hilarious. And I clearly remember one Friday, she was able to get to lunch early and she came down the stairs like, 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 pretending to take food out of her teeth and like showing off that she'd eaten first. And then um, she was like, I'll see you on Monday. And then it was like, that was Friday. So Saturday had gone, probably a dance class or something. And then it was Sunday morning. And you know, Sunday morning is when you check MSN. Back in the day it was MSN mm-hmm. before you even brush your teeth. And I remember um, getting on, going online, waiting for the dial-up to work and uh, seeing, all, seeing a lot of statuses saying RIP Charlotte. And I didn't understand who Charlotte was until somebody said, Shay, have you heard Charlotte has been killed? And my friend Charlotte had been stabbed at a house party. And it was just the beginning of not like beginning of not understanding, but also understanding. So it was the beginning of of really of really understanding inequality and injustice. At the same time, not understanding why my life, why my community was not looking like what I see on TV. I used to love trouble TV. So like the Parkers and Hanging Mr. Cooper. And I couldn't understand like why I knew him didn't reflect that. And then Charlotte dying was like the final straw for me. And I just was like, we have to do something about it. And it was through my questioning that I saw it was decisions on the council 
um, that had a huge impact on our community on youth services and provision and that's what sparked it and um, it was that kind of um, naivety slash stubbornness you know keywords I think my friends and family would use to describe me that just made me think okay this is what I'm going to do I'm going to get into politics we're going to change the game we're going to change it mm. without realizing how hard it was to really yeah. change it but yeah that's how I got started. So for any listener hearing this, especially young women wanting to get into politics, how can they start very much from nothing? Can you just talk us through quite briefly, maybe each step that you'd have to take when really starting and wanting to go for it? Yeah, well, I, first of all, I'll do a shout out to the Parton Project. I used to do some facilitation work with them and Parton Project is all about getting more women into politics at all levels and they do free training. So definitely check them out. They do online webinars, peer circles, offline workshops. You know, I totally would check them out if you're thinking about getting involved in some form of politics. And the, 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 the first thing is to think about, um, you know, why is it you want to stand? Because there'll be cha challenging times and there'll be a lot of, um, D-I-C-K heads that will try it and you have to be really clear about your vision and what is it you want to achieve and what you want to do and stay focused and know that's that's why you're going through this and be able to look at yourself in the mirror applying your makeup doing your morning routine <laughs> morning skincare routine and knowing what you're trying to achieve and then I'll say the second thing is um, thinking about where you'd want to stand. So thinking about, is it your local council? Is it like your parish council? Is it um, thinking about like, like your assemblies? Think, thinking through where is it you want to stand? And then having to think through um, if you want to be party political. So you want to join, you want to stand with a party or you want to stand as an independent um, those are key kind of foundations. If you want to stand with the party, then it'll be about um, becoming a member and then like get involved in the party and put yourself as a candidate. Um, so the elections this year have been suspended, obviously, because of COVID. So it'd be happening next year. So that's a really good opportunity to kind of get involved in a campaign, um, irrespective of where you are um, or what you're thinking in terms of um, party politics. It's so just a really good way to see what it's like to kind of door knock and convince people to vote and uh, come out and vote for a, um, a candidate you're supporting. Um, and then the final thing yeah, is thinking about what election you want to go for. So if we know the elections are next year, and I'm guessing they're going to be for four-year terms, so we're looking at 2025, mm -hmm. then just thinking through a bit of a plan around how you can become a candidate around 2024, um, and thinking through what you're going to do by then, or what you want to get out of the way. Do you want to have your master's done by then, so you've got more headspace for this, you need to kind of fundraise because you won't be independent so you're not going to have a pot the party backing you like what is what is your game plan basically those are my top tips amazing now throughout your term Shay you worked on campaigns around community growth public art and of course youth safety what was your greatest challenge during that time oh good question I think um the greatest challenge is telling myself I can't do it all. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that as, as women as well, we like are, have been so socialized and conditioned to serve and not put our knees first and say no to people. Um, so it was really hard to kind of like 
yeah, to not to tell myself you can't do it all, you can't do all the surgeries, you can't respond to, to all of the emails, you have to work. You know, you, you're still a young person, you're still a daughter, a sister, a friend, um, a colleague, you still have other responsibilities. I think that was probably the hardest, and actually, probably the biggest learning for me now because I'm a big, big um, advocate around self care and um, around self care for women. And I think it's probably what it was a painful lesson to learn around resting and breaks and doing things from a place of rest rather than from a place of anxiety or fear so I think that was probably the hardest but the biggest and most rewarding lesson mm-hmm. is there anything you miss Shay about being in politics um yeah I think I miss I think I miss like the cert like the search you have your surgeries as a counsellor and oh my gosh, I remember being 23. It was probably my first surgery on my own. So where residents can come and see you. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a woman who had, um, like she, she would be classified as having no access to public recalls. So she had status, but couldn't get benefits and couldn't work and it's that kind of awkward limbo. Um, that was a tactic to try and show that numbers had been put, numbers of immigration numbers were going down or processing of uh, applications were going down when they really hadn't. Okay. And um, yeah, I remember crying because afterwards, because you know, there's no point you crying during the surgery, you need to be strong for them. But I remember crying afterwards and calling my mum's like, we've got so much to do, so, many, so much need in the community, some people, some people are suffering. And then been able to like push on their behalf to officers and the council and advocate for them and it was she was probably my longest casework and then I remember bumping into her at Stratford shopping center and she said look 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 and I was like what I'm so confused you know, I'm so, <laughs> on my way to Greg's <laughs> so I was like so confused and she showed me her status card so her her, her work permit where she could work and she told me about the house that she has now and she's when she's working and the kids are grown and like we cried like Mm -hmm. uh and it was emotional and I think yeah I wasn't able to do anything for her because when there were council cuts and stuff like that but as a council you can introduce her to charities and organizations that are doing things you can push on their behalf and you can yeah make their lives a little bit better and and that was amazing to do and I think I'm I'm, I miss that but I still get that buzz from Mm -hmm doing that for glitch, you know, doing that in our trainings for young people and women and doing that um, in emails when people are trying to get um, accounts and abusive accounts taken down and they're struggling. Like I feel like I still get to do that bit of casework and advocacy. Of course. And when you decided, Shay, to go into politics and become a counsellor and knock on doors and all of that how much did you know about politics then or did you have to take moments and think okay I really need to research what I want to be doing and how our system works how much did you know prior to deciding that you were going to go up for the position oh zero zero nothing (laughs) which is why I also feel like sometimes you don't need to be an expert (laughs) Uh, there's so many mediocre men so they definitely definitely don't need to be an expert in um in politics but i i had i knew absolutely nothing it was a, it was the determination and stubbornness that was like okay that's the next thing to do all right i'm gonna do that 
I stood for UK Youth Parliament and then I saw that it was really cool and it was a great learning opportunity, but it wasn't where the decisions for my community were being made. It was like the youth version of it. So I was like, I'm going to go for the adults. <laughs> I want to go there. I want to go where the money is. Yeah. Um, and then I worked out on the job what it was. Probably meant that things took took longer, but you know, I sought, sought mentorship from my MP and um, colleagues as well who were on the council and um, in politics and yeah, worked it out with them as well. Um, so yeah, I don't think you should feel like you have to know everything and have a politics degree to 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 be able to stand i mean i don't know i don't know how examiners right now are, are going to even think about um updating the curriculum and courses for politics because what would you teach what yeah. we learned back then was a two-party state and you first passed the post and this, this and that. All of that has gone out the window. We mm -hmm. had a coalition government, we've had hung parliament, we've had block, you know, we've had um, uh, stalemates in parliament, we've had the era for like everything that we had been te teaching, you know, generations of generations around politics has all gone out the window, which is why I don't think that should stop anybody wanting to stand. Amazing. Now, one thing, Shay, we absolutely have to address is the moment you went viral in Strasbourg at the 2016 European Youth Event at the EU Parliament. What did that feel like when you were standing there and hearing that reaction, that negative reaction we should stress? Well, it's, it was weird because um, I was speaking in English, but there's there's interpreters in like the main EU languages. So it was it was interesting to see like the the waves of <laughs> of different reactions. So the people that understood in, the English laughed and got and got it and cheered. But then when it was translated into French, the French nationale who were the racist lot, um, they then booed. So it was just really interesting to see the waves of reactions and. Um, yeah overall in the room it was positive it just it was just this this boom from the literally the the left like the right hand side of the hemicycle for me um of just young french nationalists and uh what we probably call now the alt-right um mm. and they were booing a syrian refugee on the panel and like again being that stubborn determined person i just was like i'm not going to have you disrespect this person who's sharing their story with us mm -hmm. who's literally telling us that we don't they don't even know if when if they're going to see their parents again because they've not they've lost contact since the since he was able to seek asylum in portugal um and i was just like you know if you disagree with him fine but you don't need to boo i just didn't understand so i just took the mic and that's why i start stumble over my words because I, I did not plan what i was going to say mm -hmm. and it just had to be said and i think it's so interesting because somebody then tweeted it two weeks ago at me and added me and i said this video sparked one of the most traumatic and abusive experiences that i've ever faced um and the backlash that I received as well, you know, calling for reparations and racial justice and stuff like that. But now look where we're at. <laughs> and now this video is being lauded as something that is amazing and like was ahead of its time and stuff like that. But like for the last three, four years, it was not seen as that. So it's just super interesting to see a different reaction now to it. And then 
it you know you think it dies down or whatever the video then goes viral and it goes viral in different ways as well so it was like viral on whatsapp and you had aunties asking is that you i've seen this video going around is it you and they were going viral on facebook and being tagged and then having inappropriate men think they could ask me for marriage um and then going viral on instagram and then it was when it was on youtube and twitter that it really like just blew blew up mm-hmm. um and yeah i thought this is it gonna get a blue tick on twitter gonna get invited to the ellen show gonna get like you know uh, i don't know sponsorship deal and <laughs> none of that happened which is another thing that i tell young people and women be careful about what you put online because you may have the intention for it or someone might put something put something of you online and they might have the intention of it and put in the wrong hands put in the wrong reddit thread put in the wrong forum and it can it can go yeah the wrong completely wrong way so be be careful was that the moment you decided to create glitch shay yeah it was um it was when it was it was actually when i reported the tweets it was i remember i remember saying something like um i've never been called the n-word in my life but i've been called the n-word three times in 20 minutes mm-hmm. and i added youtube and twitter and i was like what do i do and there was no response and then i reported that like and it, this is like it no that the, it's floods of notifications so it's constant it was draining my battery and i remember like reporting like okay look at the tweet report and the reporting options then were also pants and i finally did it and then like i had no acknowledgement email I had no like communication around like it's going to take five to seven days to look at your case. Like I had none of that. Right. So I was like, I'm reporting something. I don't even know where it's going. And I felt so, and I use this word and I still use it now betrayed because I had used the platform the way you're meant to. I had uh, used it to get elected and used it to be a positive influence. And when I'm now in, in desperate need of help, um, there's nowhere to be seen, no one to be, nowhere, no one to be seen to help me. And I felt very lonely and isolating. I felt, use i felt like these social media companies were using me for my for the for, for the good but then abandon me when it gets um gets tough and that was when i wanted to to, to set up well start a campaign you know lobby for reform lobby for put recommendations and i just graduated so i was in that kind of like recommendations to the state recommendations to the companies and i was in that mode so um i uh, I did, yeah, recommendations report, and then that got picked up, and a lot of people was like, yeah, that's what we should be asking for, transparency, asking for de- de- deterrence on the platform, education, and all of this, and I was like, yes, we deserve it, and then that's what sparked Glitch, and the, th- the key things that we call for from tech companies. So once you had the idea of Glitch, what was the next thing that you did, Shay? As soon as you had the idea, did you, was it quite conventional? Did you write a business proposal did you decide what the what the future was going to look like or was it rather spontaneous it definitely was spontaneous so all of that happened in about february to april and then i took some well deserved and needed break (laughs) for two three months to really deal with the trauma and do and and yeah feel better about myself and about the world and then took the autumn of 26 2017 17 to think okay what would the structure look like? And I asked people, I remember talking to different people who had founded small charities and small social enterprises just to find out what was the best model for Glitch. And then just said, okay, um, in January, 2018, I set up an interim board of people, interim board, uh, so a trustee board, governance board to look at what Glitch could become 
mm-hmm. and what it would need to ha- what would need to happen in terms of fundraising, in terms of governance structure. And so we spent 2018 discovering and uh, researching and yeah, pulling all that together. And then last year we had the official board put in an application to become a charity. And then this year we became a charity. We've got an amazing board, small team of part-time, amazing people that work on Glitch. Um, a bunch of volunteers who are also amazing. Um, and yeah, that's we've, we've, we've it's weird because in a way we've, we've, and we're big, people know who Glitch is. We've got a really good branding and logos. People think we're bigger than what we are. But then in some way, there's so there's such um, authorizational stuff to do for us. We're still having to like put together ex- you know basic Excel documents and policies and templates and um, and set a, t- a team culture and stuff like that. But um, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. I mean, the budget bits are hard. <laughs> like forecasting is not my forte. I have no idea. Um, but I would say that if you want, if you're ever bad at like personal finances. Mm-hmm. set up an organization because my gosh does that make you more aware of your of like incomes and outgoings and being a better steward of your finance like I am so much I have savings now personal savings now because of, <laughs> of managing glitch's budget um um but I, I I thoroughly enjoy it I thoroughly enjoy like seeing the team grow mm-hmm. I thoroughly enjoy um meeting our volunteers when we can when we can and like, like thanking them I thoroughly enjoy where I can be in a part of the training as well and still facilitating and like building not just a movement and an organization about online abuse but a black-led feminist social socialist values and trying to do charity differently like not portraying the victim victimhood woman to try and get funding not you know coming from a place of scarcity of resource and thinking i have to like fight other charities but working in collaboration and and being proud to work in collaboration and share intel and resources and center our organization where we champion self-care we talk a lot about it in our trainings but it's important it's in our dna so we have things like spring break summer holidays christmas break we had a team yoga a couple of weeks ago um the governing body gave me a week off when it was the height of Black Lives Matter and I was definitely feeling it. So I enjoy that. I enjoy thinking about what kind of employer do I want to be? What kind of CEO do I want to be? What kind of thought leader do I want to be um, in the charity tech space and the women's space too? And yeah, kind of throwing some, ruffling some feathers there too. Absolutely. Now, one thing, Shay, I do want to ask is doing your work carrying it out just giving anyone advice for you know anyone who's listening who wants to do something similar do you contact these venues yourself does your team contact them and say we really want to host a workshop at your venue or at a school or at a university or do they tend to come to you now we never we hardly reached out to people um, so we're only now like working on our marketing strategy the marketing documents <laughs> um that's a whole new learning because the there was such a gap and it was just so obvious that we were meeting a need that people just people just found us we were just easy to find on google people recommended us and we didn't want to do a big huge marketing strategy at the beginning until we knew we had other things sorted out like our bank account and what governing structure we governing structure we wanted to have so um yeah i 
yeah, it makes, it makes me laugh because um, everything that Glitch has now has been through basically word of mouth mm -hmm. and contacts and networks. And so it's interesting where next year we're looking at growth. So we are looking at implementing a market strategy. So it will be really interesting to answer that question in a, in a year's time. Mm -hmm. And how do you approach policymakers? Do you call government or MPs and ask to sit down with them to discuss your goal? How does that work? Hmm. I think it, de it, de so it depends on, um, on what we're asking. So we have the tech tax campaign, which was looking at this new money, revenue of money that was coming in by um, uh, government uh, taxing tech companies. We wanted a portion of that to be ring fenced towards ending online abuse and um, making the internet a safer space. Mm -hmm. And so we spoke to, we would do exactly what you said. We would write to MPs and say, look, could we have a coffee? Could we do half an hour like chat at Parliament just to ch talk through this campaign with you? And if you would help champion it and write a letter on our behalf. Um, if it's the kind of like a bill going through at the moment, which is the online harms bill, which will be a first piece of legislation that is trying to regulate the, the social media and the internet. So it's one of a kind because that because a lot of MPs um, know that we don't have to kind of do those coffees but we're now more lobbying them to kind of take our position and see where the gaps are and um, and and ask questions in in, in debates for us okay. so I remember last year glitch got mentioned like 16 times in Parliament um, because we were mentioned by the Minister of Digital at the time Margot uh, James mm -hmm. um, our MP Lynn Brown Twitter mentioned us as well and so that was really, um, that was, uh, yeah, really cool. Um, and then sometimes we offer MP stuff. So we offer them briefings, we offer them stats and updating information. So we're going to be sending them some information around COVID and the impact lockdown has had on tech abuse. Mm -hmm. So that's where we can kind of upskill them around, um, around what's happening and keep them um, up to date. So yeah, it kind of depends how we work with them. And we try to work cross party as well. And, making sure that we see this as a non-partisan issue okay and what is your vision for the future shay with glitch um i would love all of us to be on paye which probably doesn't mean much to many people listening but you know it's that it's that um job security that i'd love to i'd love glitch to offer me but it was to offer the team um where you know we can pay into people's pensions and we don't do that like that stuff that's what i would love 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 to be mm -hmm. able to do with glitch knowing that we've got kind of consistent income coming in for the next four to five years and start thinking about like a coo or you know a kind of number two where someone will come and take the reins because mm -hmm. i think that's also important about not um you know being a figurehead for too long because then that's when you start you know um getting a bit like a dictator <laughs> um uh, i'd love to write a book about setting up an organization because i think as much as i say in this i've said in this call like it, you don't need to be an expert i also don't want people to have to make the same mistakes that i've made and take this long like here's the cheat sheet into what i've done and what you can do okay um and i'd love to write a book on digital self-care because i think now we're involving the internet in every bit of our lives we need to think about how we can set boundaries and have a healthy relationship with the online space. 
Um, so yeah, those are the things that I'd love to be able to do. And maybe one day Glitch can interview Idris Elba for something and he can become our ambassador. That would be incredible. That'd yeah. be amazing. Yeah, that'd be amazing. We completely agree at Smart Gold Tribe, Shay, that women do sense themselves online for fear of trolls. What would you say to any young woman maybe experiencing online abuse or bullying? And I can absolutely ask this question as somebody who has gone through this, now having a platform. You know, I started smart girl tribe when i was 19 years old so i was very young i started with no business qualification no economics degree and now it's the uk's number one female empowerment organization when it started i had a lot of support Mm. as it started gaining some significant traction and i was still that young and we had all these incredible partnerships and working with parliament that's when I had a few people say a few nasty comments about me. So what would you say to any young woman listening in experiencing online abuse or bullying at the moment? Um, Can I ask you a question before I ask that? Did you feel like it's time that you could talk about what was happening or that you had to kind of ignore the trolls? I felt that I had to ignore them, but if I'm being completely honest, the trolls actually were the mean girls in high school who I I knew them personally and they would direct message me um, Mm. or talk about me on other mediums, but nothing to do what I was doing, just Mm. about my appearance, things like this, just quite personal attacks. I didn't feel that I could talk to anybody, if I'm honest, other than my best friend and my mum. I mean, Mm -hmm. out there, it didn't really bother me I think because I was so focused on my business that when it was happening I didn't feel that I could talk to anybody but I didn't feel that it was grave enough to but I think it's one of those things that as you grow up when you become more of an adult you think you're just being a bit silly if it does Mm -hmm. bother you so Mm -hmm. I didn't feel at the time that I could talk to anybody I'm a lot more open about it now and I'm happy to talk obviously I'm talking about it today um but no at the time I didn't feel that I could and I think that's it. I think that's it for me. The It's one thing, it's, it's that censoring, it's that silencing. And it, it's exactly how violence works. It's exactly how, you know, trauma works. And, um, you know, in domestic violence, it's, it, it, you see it with the perpetrator um, committing an act, then you then gaslighting you and thinking, oh, you know, should I even be worried about this? Like, why should I care? Why am I, com- why, why, why is the comments getting to me? And then you don't like to feel like you can tell anyone about it. And so you're isolating yourself and you're withdrawing from society. There are so many parallels that you can make between uh, physical forms of violence and online violence and online abuse. And that's, that for me is, um, the biggest thing that I would tell any woman, any person going through online abuse, like talk about it. The more, the one thing that I think helped revolutionize to an extent domestic violence in terms of the campaigns that were happening was that we, we, that they, is that the campaigners took away the shame. Mm -hmm. Women felt shame when they were, when they had bruises and they were being beaten up. Um, and there was coercion, right? And what, what's happened is the mainstream and the conversation we have about domestic violence when it comes to football when it comes to um the tv there was a big storyline in coronation street about the nuances of domestic violence we need to be having that when it comes to online violence 
-hmm. we need to be having a conversation about how it plays out what it looks like for different people so that then we're building a uh, uh, we're lessening our tolerance to it and calling out that behavior but the more women feel like they have to stay silent about the uh, about the abuse the more that they're suffering in silence and that's why we're seeing the things that happened with caroline flack that's why we need this whole be kind campaign like we shouldn't need a be kind campaign it should just be part of what we're doing as digital citizens and then I'd say the second thing is, um, yeah, talk to somebody. Like, you could talk to your best friend and you could talk to your mum. You know, my fear is there's so many girls and so many women, Scarlett, that, is, that are su suffering in silence and thinking, I, I want to get away from this world and thinking that taking their lives is the, is the answer. Mm -hmm. And I was really worried about it during COVID that we've locked, <laughs> we're locked down, increasing yeah. the internet and where, 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 can, where can they go? So yeah just please if you're hearing this and you have been facing bullying and abuse like don't suffer like don't feel like you have to suffer in silence talk to somebody about it and find out also what your needs are because i remember like when i told my friends about the online abuse they didn't mean to they came from a, they came from a well intent intended place but they also was using victim blaming language like oh well just come off twitter or you, you know why did you post in the first place or you know they, because they've come from a place of fear around my my well-being and it's so i learned that i had to communicate like with my boyfriend when he sees that i get trolled or something he asks he asks me like where where, where are we? we've got like a rag system <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. what what is this and you know we put into pl in place like um you know, is this that he needs to confiscate my phone, which he very much loves to do and distracts me? Or is it that, you know, we're going to have a really fun weekend and escape from reality? So I remember when Black Lives Matter was a lot for both of us. Mm -hmm. um, we said no phones this weekend and we just escaped and baked and like played badminton and watched Grey's Anatomy. Like, what is it that you need? And being able to communicate that to trusted people. So, because they're on a journey of understanding the impact of online abuse as well. They're not going to know the answers, but you can guide them by what is it that you need. People offer to take me to the police station. People offer to do witness statements to help collate the abuse. So being just really clear with people what they can do to help you when you are telling them about your trauma and your abuse um, is really important. Now, equally, one thing I do want to ask you, Shay, is what would you say to anybody listening who actually is the online bully, who does mm. nasty comments, maybe if there is a mean girl, you know, whether that be at university or in the workplace, who is listening into right into this podcast right now, what would you say to her or him? You know, no one's ever asked me that question before, Scarlett. People talk to me about free speech, hate speech, you know, where the boundaries all, do we work with the perpetrators? But no one's ever asked me that, what would I say to a troll? Um, firstly, I, ask, I must say, I, I'm fascinated by it. Like anytime there's like a, a Channel 5 documentary or Channel 4 documentary where celebrities get to meet their trolls, I love it because mm -hmm. I'm just so fascinated by what makes people become a troll. I do think like technology at the moment and what we have, does breed that like mm -hmm. does breed spending like unhealthy amounts of time on the platform the algorithms put kind of rage evoking provocative material on our like on our timeline on our feed like i think there is some engineering that causes echo chambers but also causes us to have reactions mm -hmm. i think there's not a time for us to kind of moderate our thoughts like you would offline 
um, where you know you tweet something and you don't even sometimes think about like proofreading it and there's a mistake and it has to be online and there's no way of you can taking it taking it mm -hmm. back and I think some of the technology that we have breeds trollish behavior like why do we need to have a comment on why do we need to have an opinion on Kim Kardashian okay if you do have an opinion why do you have to be the one that comments on her page if you don't like what she's posted move on so I do think tech to some extent has a part to play but I would talk, if someone, if I could speak to like a troll or somebody who maybe has made an appropriate comment before, <laughs> and we do this in our workshop, I'll say some of your comments might actually be illegal. Like, let's just be clear about that. <laughs> so, you know, being racist, homophobic, sexist, all of those kind of things, there is some piece of, piece of legislation that protects those characteristics. If you're harassing someone, so it's constantly sending them messages as well, that is against the law. Um, it, it, and also if you're a young person who maybe, and unfortunately we're seeing this with the younger generation, um, are sending around uh, intimate or naked um, photos of other, other young people under the age of 16 or even 18 now, that is child pornography. So let's just be yeah. really clear that certain behaviours that you think is banter <laughs> or... Yeah light light-hearted stuff actually could be illegal so that's the first thing i'd say to you and then the second i would say is like are you are you writing that from a place of unhappiness and mm -hmm. are you writing that is that actually making you happier do you need to seek to speak to somebody about it is it is it jealousy is it and i remember speaking to um uh, Mother Pucker once, and I'm, I'm sure she won't mind me saying this, but she actually sometimes DMs some of the people that trolls her mm -hmm. and talks to them. And she finds often that they're very unhappy, unhappy mothers. I mean, look at, um, oh, what's the woman's face? Clemmy, Clemmy uh, Hooper. Yeah, Clemmy Hooper, Mothers of Daughters, Instagrammer, okay. yeah. who created a fake account and was trolling other mummy influencers and no one could understand. And she talked about how unhappy she was and how, how she felt forced to um, uh, be on and have all these engagements and felt jealous about other people getting deals and stuff like that. You know, it, it come, a lot of it comes from a place of unhappiness. So I would ask, are you unhappy? And where can we, where can you make those changes in your life to help you feel a bit better about yourself? Mm -hmm. Because if you don't nip it in the bud now, you're causing a lot of tra trauma to others, but you might, might start then causing trauma to yourself. Um, so those are the two things I'd say. It's so interesting talking to you, Shay, because, so I had one online bully in particular, and this was happened over the space of I think maybe two years, maybe over two years, two and a half years until I finally blocked her. And mm -hmm. I know this girl, and it's it's quite funny because I remember one day um, uh, she was sending me lots of messages, very very mean comments, and then I bumped into her at the train station in London the next day, and she was so lovely to me, and I. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to approach her because she was being so nice to me face to face, but she was sharing with me how unhappy she was. And I thought, you've been sharing these mean comments, really, really nasty ones and abusive messages that obviously I won't disclose now. Really, mm. really, you know, personal attacks. Yeah, I've just bumped into you and you're sharing how unhappy you are. And I think that is something that is just so crucial 
to pinpoint that a lot of the time, the majority of the time, if not all the time, somebody who is bullying you, whether that be face-to-face or online, it's because it's coming from a place of either deep unhappiness or insecurity. I, yeah, I agree. I 100% agree with you. I mean, even when you want to trace back some of the incels, you know, the big kind of like groups of men that have, Mm -hmm. um, huge hatreds for women like that if you if you trace that back that's come from a place of unhappiness or yeah. uh, like you said insecurity it could be job insecurity um it could be around um self-esteem it could be around um family insecurity instability you know you you, tr- you trace it back um or um you you've got people who join far-right extremist groups mm-hmm. or any extremist groups whether it's like extreme veganism extreme um um ideologies you know it all comes from a place of wanting to belong and unhappiness right and i think um that you know i'd love to do that after glitch i'd love to go into the psychology of all of that and really look at how we can use psychology to help us build better tech platforms that serve people's needs rather than pick up their vulnerabilities and then exploit them no completely i absolutely agree with you now of course shay it's imperative that we discuss the movement black lives matter can you just share your thoughts views anything you're feeling and maybe some resources that you would recommend um so i think black lives matter has existed for a very long time Mm -hmm. i think it's important to highlight that the black lives matter movement was co-founded by three women um and queer women too and i think that's important um to say because for so long when it came to racial justice movements they had been spearheaded by men yeah so i think what's amazing um to honor is that it's queer women who put themselves on the line and i can't imagine the abuse and the trolling that they get and Mm -hmm. the security that they need um i think what we saw this time around was a beautiful and ugly collision of multiple things. COVID-19 forcing all of us to stop and Mm -hmm. to be at home. So we weren't distracted by, if you like, in the simplest terms, capitalism. We weren't distracted by the Euros. We weren't distracted by like gas and, you know, just the things that we thought we needed Actually, we're yeah. okay with having don't get me wrong i'm annoyed that i didn't get to go to afro nation festival should we go next week or la or any of my holidays mm-hmm. but it just goes to show that you didn't need it and so it was not distracted by wimbledon and you know yeah. all these other things like the only thing on the news could be george floyd's murder mm-hmm. the second thing that's happened is you know a ticking time bomb of so many forms of police brutality and racial injustice and how covid as well disproportionately affects black community you had that happening too you then have the euphoria referendum you've had the separation of from from europe you've, you've had um an election you've had the kind of for, um corbyn falling and like a real thinking about what is politics anymore in the uk as well so you've had that happening too in the uk and the us a big kind of rise against trump but also the rise of trump so you've got so many beautiful collisions of timing and things happening but also so ugly right that when we saw almost nine minutes of someone's death, you could not ignore it. 
you could not be distracted by Beyonce's album or whatever, touring, you know, whatever it would have been. We all had to pay attention and we were all there. Mm. But the, also the nature of his death and his murder was different to the shootings that we've seen happen before, where I think unfortunately we've become quite desensitized to shootings because of TV and movies and they have guns in America. But for basically strangulation and, and, and for that prolonged time, nobody could dispute that. You know, it was, you know, I don't think you could have disputed any of the other police brutality attacks, but this one was just so clear as day wrong. Um, and I think that's what caused the global introspection, a massive disruption of everything that brands, corporates, charities, finance, you know, you've had the banking sector having to talk about Black Lives Matter. You've had yeah. FIFA and Nintendo um, games console put Black Lives Matter messages. You've had everybody wake up to this massive introspection and thinking, crap, have I been complicit? And the final and most beautiful thing that's happened is the nuance of this time. Before this time, if you talked about Black Lives Matter, you were met with all lives matter, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But you also you met with um, stubborn white feminists who didn't believe that they were complicit in upholding racialization or racial oppression. They were still believing the kind of, boo me, but I'm a woman. I'm, you know, I also get, so I also face sexism. I also face an ism. It was becoming the kind of um, uh, oppression Olympics. The yeah. nuance here is that now every white woman you'd hope, realizes, crap, even though I'm not overtly racist, I benefit from the system and therefore I'm part and complicit into the racial oppression and by staying silent, I'm compliant. That nuance of language and that thread, we were saying it before, but it, wasn't, it was falling on deaf ears. It's been really heard loud and clear and that's why you've heard more people talk about allyship Mm. sharing their platform doing the introspection doing the thought think the thought the thought thinking and leadership and thinking about why there's not um in inclusion and diversity in their in their companies and what they've been doing to be complicit about it and you see a lot of white feminists having to apologize for their toxic behavior and i think that's what's been the game changer yeah, no, I mean, I just love how succinct you've put it, Shay, how coherent. I mean, one thing that I really want to ask you as well, on more of a personal level, is how do you feel about influencer culture? Because your work is genuinely outstanding. You care so much. You really are able to talk about these matters and these issues very coherently. How do you feel when you see influencers maybe talking about their latest Dior handbag or equally the influencers who I know we've all seen who wouldn't talk about Black Lives Matter because they said they wanted to maintain a or have a positive influence or keep their feed very light? I mean, how do you feel about that? Yeah, basically, I don't want to piss off the racists that follow them and give them engagement. Um... Okay, there's two ways I'm going to answer this. Mm -hmm. The very, very, very honest answer, Scarlett, sometimes I'm yeah. jealous. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sometimes I'm jealous that you can wake up and not be, a, a, not be triggered or moved or um, feel anything by the news. So you can brush your teeth, wash your hair, get your clothes on and not at all be, be moved by the world. I, I, I would love to experience that. I wake up with... Okay, what am I going to see next in the timeline? 
I have to think about, you know, is my hair going to be too black for whatever, you know, I, I don't have that luxury of not thinking through any of those microaggressions. So sometimes I'm jealous. Mm. Sometimes I'm, you know, I'm jealous of those that haven't woken up to the struggle and injustice. That's my honest answer. And then the, my other answer is that I think people will, people will eventually fall in line or they will become irrelevant um which is why we have to be careful that capitalism doesn't try to marketize activism right yeah um, and that's why people get called out like night you know saying you know one thing but yet their like factories are like <laughs> horrible like yeah. like so so there's 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 that but i think scarlet like we have power to vote with like our clicks um, we have we have power as consumers. We have powers as tech users. We have so much power of, of, with the voting that we can we can force people to like get in line, or you're no longer flavor of the month. You're no longer what we want to see and desire from people. And and we will and we also need to reward those that are using their platforms the way that we want to see. So not everyone needs to be you know this this crazy activist 24 seven. Like I'm not either. Like I, I very much like just watching Grey's Anatomy at lunch, actually, like <laughs> I very much chill out. Um, but you know, there's the, um, there's Jackie, the black, uh, influencer who did a lot to call out like pretty little thing and so many other brands, like let's reward her and her behavior and thank her and honor her by like clicking her, clicking her posts, following her, buying her makeup, whatever it is, let's, let's also vote with our and our money, our feet, our clicks, our hands, our time as well. And then I think those will eventually, eventually kind of die out. And, that, and you know, that's why you also see YouTubers desperate to want to hook on to the Black Lives Matter movement in some way. Like I saw like what Jeffree Star and um, the YouTubers all beefing each other the other day, you know, and trying to use Black Lives Matter to get in there. And, and I was just like, it's so transparent what you're doing. You're trying to stay relevant because you've actually seen that people don't really want this anymore. Don't get me wrong. I like learning how to use my eyeshadow, how to put eyeshadow on. And I think there's a time and a place for that. Um, but I think we, we as consumers can readdress the balance. At the moment, I think there's an imbalance of what we consume. Completely. I love that show. Now, finally, my very last question. This is how I end every podcast episode. What is your favourite quote or the mantra you live by, Shay? Oh, good one. I'm going to say it's Audrey Lord's one around mm -hmm. self-care being a revolutionary act. And yeah. I ponder on that so often and have caught so many different revelations of it as I move through different seasons of life, um, you know, different, you know, therapy or coaching or being, a, you know, being someone's girlfriend. Like, what does that look like? What does self care look like? Can I no, that? Yeah, yeah. So, we need to, so, I feel like we need to say it for people in the back that women, you know, we've gone too long being set up as not even people pleasers, but you know, men pleasers. We need to start thinking. Yeah, absolutely. We need to talk about self-care and what it looks like to be a girlfriend or, you know, just a daughter, a friend. Ooh, yeah, yeah. yeah and setting boundaries. What does that look like? And at the moment, I'm really reflecting on how I can do more of what I do from a place of rest. Yeah. 
and like you know timing this podcast after lunch so I'm well fed I've watched mm-hmm. Grey's I've had some time with Bay. I can give this my all and then have a break afterwards so I'm doing more things my place of rest meaning I'm giving you my best but I'm also giving me my best as well yeah. so trying to do more of that I think is is my is my thing am I am I like jumping this opportunity because of a of a fear of scarcity or fear of like not being the flavor of the month like what is what is driving that and trying to do it more from a place of rest amazing well thank you again so much for coming on to the podcast today thanks for having me it's an absolute pleasure you have shared so many nuggets of wisdom i have no doubt we will work together again in the future so thank you so much and all the all the best sorry to you and the entire glitch team Thank you so much. And thanks for the great hour interviews. Great questions. No, it was perfect. Well, thank you again. And I'll speak to you soon. See you. Take care. You too. Bye-bye.